especially doing like you know more like fantasy costumes and stuff especially like princess puffy sleeves that kind of stuff my brain doesn't always just it does not wrap around that concept it's so hard i was gonna say puffy sleeves dewey's dewey's shirt right now he's like oh yeah my 18th century shirt is just exactly Welcome to the Asian Sewist Collective podcast. The Asian Sewist Collective is a group of Asian people from around the world brought together by our shared appreciation for fiber and textile arts and our desire to see more Asian representation in the sewing community. In this podcast, we explore the intersection of our identities and our shared sewing practice as we create a space for Asian sewists and our allies. I'm your co-host, Ada Chen, and I'm recording from Denver, Colorado. Denver is a traditional territory of the Ute, Cheyenne, and Arapaho peoples. I'm a Taiwanese-American marketer turned entrepreneur, and these days you'll find me running my own all-natural skincare business called Chuan Skincare, that's C-H-U-A-N, and sharing my marketing tips on my blog, The Cultivate Method. Most importantly for this podcast, you can find my sewing at i.hope.sew on Instagram. And I'm your co-host, Nicole. I'm based outside of Chicago, the original homelands of the Council of the Three Fires, the Ojibwe, the Potawatomi, and the Odawa people. I'm a Philippine ex-American woman and a lawyer by day and a sewing enthusiast the rest of the time. You can find me on Instagram at Nicole Angeline Sews. So before we dive into this week's episode, Nicole, can you tell us about your current sewing project? I can tell you some of it. I am currently working (laughs) on testing swimwear. I don't know uh, how much I can say about what I'm testing. This is the first time I am sewing swim and it's kind of scary because I negative ease is a new thing for me, but I think it's totally doable. I just need to make sure that I'm using the right fabric, which I think I am, and I have the right notions. I'm excited to make more swim. So not that I can't, I don't know if I can tell you what I'm testing, but I do have plans to make the Friday (laughs) Pattern Company Seabright Swim to take with me on vacation later this year. So I'm going to do a vacation for my birthday in September. So when you talk about podcast scheduling, Ada, for that, but I will have custom swim. I'm, I'm excited. What about you, Ada? What are you working on? I just bought some activewear patterns from Jay Lee, so kind of along the same lines of thinking. I recently got back into golf. I learned as a kid from my dad and now I have his clubs and his gear. So I signed myself up for some group clinics and I realized that there are dress codes (laughs) that they enforce. And so I needed some polos and collared shirts. And it's a bunch of outdated patriarchy nonsense that I really just don't like, but you kind of need to do it in order to say patriarchy. So I'm trying to figure that one out. And I <laughs> wanted to figure out, I was like, I have all this fabric that would be great for polos. I just don't have any patterns. So I bought some J. Lee patterns for not only a polo, but also a skort. Haven't worn a skort in a long time, hmm. but going to attempt both of those patterns to make a cute golfing outfit. And if it fails, at least I can take some cute pictures. <laughs> Welcome to our first Asian dress in pop culture episode. This is a series where we talk about a popular movie or TV show that highlights Asian culture, especially clothing, and talk about what they got right, if anything. So today, we're going to be talking about the most recent Disney movie, Raya and the Last Dragon. This 
is Disney's first ever movie to feature a Southeast Asian princess. Other Asian princesses were Mulan, who is Chinese, and Moana, who is Polynesian, not Asian, but would fall under the AAPI umbrella that the U.S. Census ascribes. So we finally have a third Disney princess to welcome into the fold. The story of Raya and the Last Dragon takes place in, and I'm going to try to do it the Disney way, Kumandra. A land that was once a unified region <laughs> where humans and dragons lived peacefully. That is, until purple smoke monsters called Drunes showed up. And after some conflict, sorry, I should have said spoiler alert <laughs> if you haven't seen the movie yet. After some conflict, Kumandra has been split into five tribes and the world no longer has any dragons. And so throughout the movie, we follow Raya's quest to unite the kingdoms again. And today we have a ton to talk about with this movie. So we have brought in two guests to talk about the movie, Asian representation in the film, as well as their own viral recreation of Raya. So we have Nam, who you can find on Instagram at Nam Mai, N-A-M-M-A-I, who is also the owner of Evermore Wigs, which is at Evermore Wigs on Instagram. Welcome, Nam. Hi. It's a pleasure to be here. And we have Dewey, who you can find on Instagram at Cafe de Dewey, C-A-F-E-D-E-D-U-Y. And welcome. Hello. So let's start off learning a little bit about both of you. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Maybe Nam, you can go first and then hand it off to Dewey. My name is Nam. I'm 24 years old. I am... I guess not a first generation Vietnamese because I was born in Vietnam and uh, immigrated here when I was around 12. I lived in Southern California when I immigrated here and I worked at Disneyland for a good while doing entertainment and other things in there. And around 2017, I started my own business, Evermore Wigs, and then I moved to Orlando and that's about it. That is so interesting. Dewey, what about you? Hi, my name is Dewey and I'm a first generation um, Vietnamese American. I'm based in Orlando, but I've grown up in Florida my entire life. And I started cosplaying around 10 years ago, 2011, 2010, 20, 2011. And it just grew to like a love of designing costumes or just wow. making them, just, just making things. Like I enjoy painting and all that. And I think just my creative outlet is now just making costumes. Very cool. We are happy to have both of you here, and I highly recommend listeners check out their Instagram. There's some really amazing work, and you may have already seen some on our uh, feed, but go check theirs out. Support their work for sure. So Nam, can you tell us how and why you got into costuming, and is there anything else that you sew for yourself or other people besides costumes? Uh, yeah. My history of costuming is a little long, but my mom in Vietnam growing up, she was a fashion designer, especially specializing in aoyais, or the proper ways, aoyai. That's a traditional Vietnamese dress. It's unisex, and it's been there since around 1700s. It's the, the most popular traditional outfit in Vietnam. And my mom is the designer of that. And... Growing up, I was always there in the store with her, especially in the back with all of her seamstresses. And that's kind of where I started picking up little things. Uh, they showed me how to, you know, sew piping for their uh, garments and, and dresses. 
and sewing basic things like collars and stuff too. I learned beading from them. I learned adding appliques, all sorts of stuff like that. So it's pretty traditional, my knowledge of sewing up until around like 2014 or so. That's when I started using that knowledge and learning more to do like cosplay kind of stuff, especially started with Halloween, making Jedi Knight costumes and stuff like that. And then it kind of snowballed into doing a lot of Disney costumes like Li Shang from Mulan and Aladdin and a lot of animation stuff. I also started doing Zootopia cosplays. And for now, it's just kind of slowed down a little bit since the pandemic started. I guess I had a little bit of burnout with like, I don't know if you guys feel it too, but with making masks and stuff at the beginning of the pandemic. Yep. So it's definitely slowed down. Yeah. So I want to get back to it. And I'm getting a lot more inspiration recently. And it's so nice seeing other uh, sewists and people like you guys who are enthusiasts. And it's really great seeing that. And we briefly mentioned that you, your business is as a wig artist. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Because it, it does, it, I stalked your Instagram a little bit and there does seem to be a little bit of an overlap between the cosplay costuming world and the fantastic wigs that you design. Listeners, you really need to check out like, ugh, good hair, such good hair. <laughs> Thank you. That started around 2017 is when I opened my business, but I picked all of that hairstyling knowledge up just from YouTube videos and like self-taught, basically. I learned a lot of that too from uh, a lot of free classes on online and that sort of stuff. And it began really as just styling wigs for myself, for my own cosplays, for the Mulan cosplays, for local stuff like that. And then it, it became styling for other people locally who, who approached me and doing small commissions. And once I kind of started finding my niche of what I'd liked to do, which was a lot of Disney princesses, that sort of hair, uh, it just grew. But there's a definitely a big overlap between my love of cosplay and the, the hair. It really completes the look. I think so. I think the hair definitely helps you a lot with your confidence in cosplay. Dewey, can you let us know how and why you got into costuming and, you know, do you make other things besides costumes for yourself or other folks? So as of now, I am working on commissions or like bigger projects. It's all sewing based. I'm not a wig master like Nam. It's great. <laughs> That's a level I can't ever reach in terms of other outlets <laughs> in say like the cosplay world. It's mainly just costuming and making things with craftsmanship. When I started to pursue more of the costuming side. It's based as a, it's all because I was entering a costume contest at a con. And then from there, I kind of learned to better myself or attempt to better myself. And then um, along the way, it also included my love for history and other cultures and just learning how to incorporate those into costuming. Very cool. It's a great place to put your sewing energy and skills into. Uh, like I said, both of you, the, the work speaks for itself. Uh, so you two know each other. Did you meet through costuming or how did you meet? How did we meet? <laughs> I would say, yeah, like through costuming is a part of it, but it's a more conventions and uh, very close circles that ended up like merging together. Being Orlando, Disney, this age group of people, 
who are basically all nerds, you're going to find each other. <laughs> yeah, it's a lot of circles. like Because we both work for Disney. Well, I, I'm still working for Disney, so there's that circle. And then there's the mutual friend circle. And then there's the whole Disney cosplayers around the world knowing each other. And then U.S. cosplayers. So like not what Nam said, it just overlaps. Yeah, I no longer work at Disney. Congrats, I think. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I I watch a lot of Disney cast member TikTok sometimes. And it's, it, some of them make it sound great and some of them make it sound terrible. It's definitely what you make of it is a big part of it for sure. Hmm. And your attitude going into the job. But truly, I I think I've just outgrown that. But I had such a great time when I was there in entertainment for a while. And then I also, uh, so that, that was like character hosting, you know, being an attendant with the characters for meet and greets. And then this information will come back later <laughs> in other answers. But then also later on, I started teaching animation at the Animation Academy in uh, Disney's California Adventure. Mm-hmm. And that was a really great and super fun job and fun show to do. That's definitely cooler than any job I've had. <laughs> I worked at the Illinois State Fair one summer. What did you do? I scooped ice cream. Honestly, a real hero, though. Oh, yes. It's hot. It's a hot. It was a hot Midwest summer. It's the one building at the Illinois State Fair that has air conditioning. I was like, that's the building I want to be in. (laughs) And this is so hokey. Like, the reason why there's air conditioning is because they serve ice cream, but the, the butter cow is there, which is exactly what it sounds like a sculpture made out of butter of a cow so that's those are my fun summer jobs in college (laughs) learning how to do the perfect soft serve pour um and in the dairy building at the illinois state fair you guys all did not need to know any of that but (laughs) but it's good information no i love just in case all good information for everybody on the podcast to know about i don't know <laughs> tomorrow morning nicole is getting a dm that's just butter emoji cow emoji. hey whenever you write an autobiography it can be you know from soft serve to sewing oh soft serve to sewing that's so great that's so good great subtitle that's really good okay So aside from Nicole's interesting jobs in the past, we are here today to talk about Raya and the Last Dragon. So before we dive into your guys' viral Raya costume and photo shoot, let's talk about the movie. So I think like I recapped in the beginning, Kumandra, the land that Raya lives in and explores throughout the movie, was split into different tribes. And in each tribe, we see different elements borrowed from different Southeast Asian countries and cultures. And so I'm curious, is there anything specific in the movie that really resonated with you either culturally or otherwise? Maybe we can start with Dewey this time. So one of the big things is the the floating market. So for me, I didn't know it was Vietnamese because I just assumed every single market in Southeast Asia looks like that until a lot of my friends who are not Vietnamese told me, hey, that's that's Vietnam. I'm like, what? It is? It's, oh, okay. But <laughs> the rest of the film, I was looking for more Vietnamese things and I caught on to like certain words. They took the accents out, but um, 
their the Vietnamese words, and then there's also little details like on one of the dragons. I noticed it goes to Vietnamese mythology, and just just a few things like little words and stuff. I think this movie is like so important, not just because of its representation on a surface level. It's wonderful to get representation, but it's so much more about knowing like that this is like such huge opportunity for a large company like Disney to show off all of the amazing aspects of your culture to the rest of the world. You know, it's a great door into that. And I just felt so proud, like watching it and and knowing that no matter what, this would be received well because it's Disney. It brought Southeast Asian cultures to the masses in a way that was, at least this is my opinion, that was friendly and introductory, like, oh, you know, we didn't know that Asia isn't just East Asians, which is usually what the default conception is. And so as a Filipino person, you know, said this representation was important for me as well, but it wasn't perfect, right? All of the South Asian, Southeast Asian representation, you know, was there but there were some pitfalls. So the cultures were sort of blended, right? So Dewey, you said you could pick mm-hmm. out some words, like maybe that they re- removed the Vietnamese accent from. And yeah. most of the voice actors were Pan-Asian rather than Southeast Asian. So I'll, I'll start with Dewey. You know, what are your thoughts on that? You know, do you think there were other voice actors that Disney could have chosen or other, you know, <laughs> things that you would <laughs> do differently? Yeah, uh, yeah <laughs> starting with the voice cast, while I'm glad they're all Asian, but there are so many Southeast Asian actors out there. You know, there's Michelle Yeoh, there's Dante Basco. For the singer, they could have picked Leia Salonga to be to sing the song. And there's so many, starting from the cast and then going to certain designs in a film where I'm just thinking, I know what you're aiming for. You're aiming for a pre-colonized Southeast Asia, which most of it is Thai. But some of the designs are are original to the film, and they could have picked current um, designs or aesthetics in our cultures to use instead of just blending it all in and trying to be original. What are your thoughts, Nam? It it does feel like a little bit of a cop-out sometimes when you think about it that way, for sure. But I also feel like we can be a little more harsh on this film. And of course I have the gripes about the Pan-Asian cast of voice actors, but it it doesn't always help to pick on an Asian project harder than you would pick on a white created or a white led project involving Asian people. I think there was a quote from Chloe Zhao. She's the director of Nomadland and she got critiqued about her film not casting the accurate ethnicity or nationality of the actor in the story. And she made a really great point saying that like, you know, no one else would pick on white lead films this way for that tiny little detail. But when it comes to a film by an Asian woman, they, they can be a little more harsh. That's an interesting observation. So the costume designer, Nesa Bove, for Raya and the Last Dragon, which in researching for this episode, I learned that there are costume designers for animated films as well. She is a white woman of Spanish descent. And we talked about blending the cultures together and kind of the issues with that, which 
we've seen happening and some of the clothing kind of starting to look similar because of trade. And Dewey, I think some of your posts actually mentioned that you'd previously studied Thai warrior women and and their clothing. So how do you think Bove did on representing all of the Southeast Asian cultures? When I looked up the costumes, it was mainly it was mainly for Raya because our project was trying to focus on Raya and we were working on promotional pictures. I was studying the Thai Sabai. I think that's how it's pronounced, Sabai. And I think for Raya, when they change it for the sake of uh, being conservative or being a Disney character, it works fine. I, I don't find anything wrong with it. It works well as a costume designer. I think they did a great job. Um, for other characters, say like Raya's Ma or other surrounding characters, I think the designs are great in what they're trying to achieve. But there are certain characters, I would say, say like Namari's mother, where the dress is nowhere to be found. But I do know that the design is based on the palace that Fang was in, which I appreciate a lot um, as a designer or someone who would create things to be more consistent with designs. But in general, I think the blending of certain cultures works out well for Raya because it's trying to achieve a certain aesthetic that the world has. Yeah. Kumandra isn't a real existing place, so I think it's fine for a certain blending because it's not it's done respectfully, if you know what I mean. Nam, would you agree? Yeah, I definitely agree with that. We all have uh, little gripes with it, and exactly what you were saying about the chief, Mari's mother. Her dress is, it's basically the Asian version of what they did with Black Panther, which was you know, <laughs> Afrofuturism. So you get different styles like that, but it's so awesome to see the influences from the Thai design of clothing and from uh, Cambodian clothing. So I think for the most part, they did a great job. And Nesa Bove, I follow her on Instagram. I also follow Brittany Lee. Their titles are visual developers for these animated films. So they do so much research on the culture, the background, all the little details, materials, patterns, and they come up with just hard drives and hard drives of files of these designs to draw inspiration from. Because if you have time, you should definitely check check out the art of books, the Disney art of books. They release them for like each animated film, and it's got so much background on the development of these costumes, of hair, of everything. And I think they did a great job. And in the Raya behind the scenes videos too. They also have a video uh, documenting the entire animation team's trip to Southeast Asia. They visited Cambodia, Thailand, Vietnam, and they learned a lot from it. So I think overall they did a pretty good job. Yeah, uh, the art they release on Instagram every now and then is just amazing. Like I'm like, wow, how much research have you placed into this? And it's all done so respectfully. I love how... You mentioned the Namari's mom, the badass chief. You know, I'm not Southeast Asian, and so I didn't come into this movie having a particular affinity to any of the cultural dress or interpretations shown. So I was more looking at it like, I love all these outfits. And I know Namari was the villain, spoiler alert again, but watching her and her movement and kind of the sporty yet chic two-piece outfit plus her mom and like the, Dewey, what you said about drawing in the visual cues of the chief's outfit mirrors the actual palace and and the land like that definitely kind of brought it all together for me and I was like ooh, like Namari is practically how I dress and then her mom is like where I visually would like to aspire to be 
I'm curious, you know, that's that's kind of how I interpreted the costumes. Were there any costumes in particular that either of you really loved? Ooh, uh, costumes that I love. I would say Raya's Ma, Chief Benja's, his formal outfit when he was trying to unite all the nations in Kumandra, the the mint green, not mint green, it's bluish green with the naga going around the neck at the collar area. That one just fits so well. And I, I really love the applique of the dragon. And most of the outfit is Thai, but bits of it are reminiscent of other cultures. And I'm just, I'm all about that. And I want to own it. Like, I just, I want that outfit. It looks so good on him. It'll look good on anyone. Yeah, that one. Oh, and besides Chief Benja's outfit with the dragon applique that I like, another costume I really like is Raya herself with the with the hat and the cape. And the whole silhouette is just, just hits differently. And I don't know what it is, especially when you see Raya walking up to the Grand Palace in Fang with that whole look. It just, it hits differently. And I don't know how to explain it yet. Like, while well, for Chief Benja, I can explain that it sits on his body well and the appliques and the textures and the details are amazing. With Raya, it's something about that silhouette that I really like. So those two costumes are my favorite. That one is actually my favorite as well. Out of all the costumes in the movie, I feel like Raya's travel costume, the one you see for the majority of the movie, is a big culmination of cultures. But Chief Benja's outfit, as simple as it was, that tunic and the shoulder lapel, you can really clearly see the influences, the combination of Vietnamese and Cambodian styles. And it really reminds me of, you know, the Aoyais that my mom made when I grew up, seeing those those silks and seeing those appliques and seeing the intricate embroideries. I just thought that it was really great. And I also love the asymmetry of the costume too, which is a big thing in this film. You get asymmetry in a lot of the hair designs, a lot of the other costumes, and even architecture throughout the film. And I, I think that's pretty cool. Versus a lot of other Disney movies, especially recent ones like Frozen and Tangled, that kind of stuff. Their designs are more simple European traditional costumes. That's a lot of symmetrical designs. So I thought that was so special, seeing something a little different. I love that perspective. I think, so I am Southeast Asian, but I didn't watch Raya with the same critical eye and not necessarily like negative, just you are, you are seeing things differently than I did. And I think there's a lot of beauty in the observation that asymmetry is considered beautiful and aesthetically pleasing and, and gorgeous in this movie. It's something that I think everyone is like, well, symmetry is beauty, like perfection, you know, like there's no variance and that's what's held to be what is beautiful. So I just would have never seen that. So I'm so grateful that you're here and and giving us both of your perspectives on this movie. I think it also, I think it also boils down back to Eurocentric beauty standards and how everywhere now, you know, perfect symmetry is what's called considered beautiful. So I think this, this sort of goes against that. And I think that's so special and different. Yeah, totally. And, you know, with that, let's dive into the Raya cosplay that you both uh, worked on 
as part of a collaboration. And I want to just give a little bit of background on who the the model for this was. Her name is Monica Joel Ortiz of at Monica Joel O, and that's M O N I C A. J-O-E-L-L-E-O. There's also going to be a link in our show notes. Monica is a Filipino-American writer, actor, and content creator whose videos range from fun transitional videos to videos on cultural appreciation, representation, and inclusivity. So definitely check out her work uh, and her videos on the interwebs as well. And she is also, like I said, the Raya cosplayer who modeled the costume that Nam and Dewey created, which is based off the main outfit that Raya wears throughout the movie. So you all may be familiar with it. Certainly everyone on the pod knows and loves this costume. And in this outfit, Raya is wearing a dome-shaped hat, a red cape, a brown vest, a yellow top, and green embellished pants. Now we'll talk more about details in a bit. You can definitely Google it and see the original costume yourself or go to IG and see Monica in the costume. I did want to do a little shout out for the hat itself because it was actually loaned to Monica from Shylin's own collection. Um, Shylin is a member of our collective who we have shouted out multiple times and uh, she's producing Yay, this episode Shailin. as well. Yeah, she's got fans. So the hat is called a salakot, which is a hand-woven Philippine hat that is more dome-shaped than the conical style hats found in other Southeast Asian countries. So Dewey, how did the idea of recreating Raya's costume come about? So did, did you, one of you come up with the idea or? It was noms. So, so earlier in the year, I was trying to create the costume officially with Disney. I was working my way towards it. And then the pandemic happened. So everything just ceased and I just kind of let it go. And then sometime before the movie came out, Nam texted me and said, hey, let's do this project with Monica. And then I said, yeah, let's do it. So it's all his idea. And we just split up who would make what. And then I just picked the vest or the jacket and the yellow top. Is this true, Nam? Was it all you're doing? All your idea? Accusation. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Try to be humble here. So the whole thing happened really slow and then really fast all of a sudden, the whole process. But the movie had definitely been on my radar since it was first announced. Yeah, it was first announced back in 2017 at D23, the convention. And I was there for that. And man, I, I felt so excited for that. Just everyone in the room was just dying and so ecstatic. And you could feel the the joy from all of the Southeast Asian and Asian people who looked like me in the room, you know, when they first announced this. And so through the movie's production, it was a pretty, pretty slow, nothing really happened with that. But I had briefly spoken to Monica about that, about possibly modeling, mostly just the wig part of it, because I knew that that was something I'd have to offer in my store pretty soon once the movie came out. And then just through snowballing, I based, I asked Dewey to join the project and then we divvied up the work for that and then even monica was so awesome with keeping the crew southeast asian so she brought in nicolin who's our videographer and photographer for the shoot as well so this project like you said was kind of a long time in the making and then it just all happened and, and pretty quickly but you guys were working on the costume off of 
screenshots, right? Like by the time you actually released the photos and did the shoot, Raya was just coming out on Disney Plus as uh, I guess like a premier access movie. So what was it like trying to research and recreate the costume with just a few screenshots and clips and like the trailer? Did you recognize anything specifically? And we just did an episode on textiles. So I'm curious, how did you figure out from just screenshots, like what fabrics to actually use? So at the time when we were basically reverse engineering all of these costume pieces and hair, I think it was just two trailers, like one teaser and then one full length trailer. And it was pretty difficult. But thankfully, the promotional images that were out were the fully like fully rendered, especially that one shot of her, you know, with the hat down to her lips. And she's got so much detailing on all of her cape and vest and all that stuff that made that very simple costuming wise to break down. And I feel like Dewey has this knowledge to from doing cosplay for so long and especially breaking down animated costumes, you you kind of get a feel and you you get this, you know, sixth sense of reading exactly what fabrics would work, how it moves, the weight of it, and you can see what would work exactly for that piece. But reverse engineering the hair was the probably the worst part of that because <laughs> almost all the shots was you know, she had her hat on and then there was one back shot behind her head and it was like pitch black. I had to screenshot it. I had to <laughs> raise the brightness and contrast to like figure it out. And for the most part, I, I got pretty close. Dewey, would you say the same went for the fabric, at least on the pieces that you did? So for fabrics, it was, that was like the easiest thing, just thinking, oh, maybe I'll put her in this outfit because of uh, this kind of fabric because it just flows better or works better. I think the hardest part for me was the yellow top because like I said before, I was studying Thai warrior women and what they wore. And I know that outfit, it's easy to figure out because it's literally just tied around the body. But because Disney has um, redesigned that outfit to be more conservative, I was trying to figure out how it works and recently, Disney just released a short digital clip of how her how her top works. And I was thinking, wow, you know, if you only released this earlier. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> I was thinking of more like the engineering that Nam said, like how to make this function more as a costume, because we can easily make things wrap around the body mm -hmm. and just pass it off as here's the look. But I want to make it more easier, just just to function like uh, function wise. And I was studying every single two millisecond clip of Raya as much as I can from behind from certain angles. And I was thinking, how does this work? What culture is this from? And I was asking all of my Southeast Asian friends, like, hey, do you recognize this? Like, is this a blend of your culture with someone else's? And it was just a lot of figuring out, figuring out like how that yellow top works until, you know, recently when Disney released the clip. So just honing in on the specific pieces. So Dewey, since you're talking about this yellow top, can you describe it in a way for our listeners and then also the other pieces that you worked on? And uh, then I'll ask Nam to do the same. So the top, let's start with the, the brown motorcycle jacket. I was trying to figure out if it was Thai or Cambodian and it turns out it's a blend of both. Both cultures are somewhat similar in design due to history and trade, but the design itself is very modern. It's very easy. It's just a jacket with short sleeves or certain like uh, padding. And we just added interface and using, instead of, I wanted to use uh, fake leather, but since that was inaccessible due to budget, I just used basic uh, printed cotton just to give off that look. And for the, for the yellow top, 
for anyone who wants to save money, thrift stores are great if you want to go buy curtains and use it as fabric and just manipulating pleating and just figuring <laughs> out how it works. It's a great tip. It helps too that her costume has a big old cape covering most of it. So, you know, Thank there's God. a lot of room for error there as well. <laughs> So Nam, the big cape covering everything, that was you? Yes. So I contributed the hair, the cape, the belt, and pants. They're kind of harem style pants with the extra lapel uh, layers on top. And then I also contributed the gauntlets that she wears. So the cape itself, that was the one piece that I entirely sewed from scratch. I have a lot of experience with patterning and stuff. So I just patterned that out myself. Basically, it's just a half circle skirt that just runs really long from the the neck down. And then I also added the high collar to that. And the lining, so I took some liberties with that design for sure, because it's not Of course, this costume is not entirely screen accurate. This wasn't what we were going for. And definitely, we did not have the budget to make it (laughs) entirely screen accurate. But an aspect of that cape that I really latched onto and liked was the lining of it. It's this yellow kind of gold fabric, and it's got this beautiful pattern on it. And since I couldn't find a, a, a fabric that worked really well for that, I just ended up buying some lining fabric and then I cut it out, of course, to fit the, for the lining of the half circle skirt. And then it's all hand stamped uh, with fabric paint after cutting that out. And then for the, uh, the gauntlet pieces, the belt and the pants, <laughs> those other pieces, I purchased the basis for them and then added a lot on top of it. So I adjusted the gauntlet pieces I added this macrame trim to the belt to add a little bit more depth to it. And then I stitched on this trim, the the green trim, to give that illusion of the the extra layers on the pants since we did not have the time to make the full style. So I'm hearing hand stamping, lots of different trims, hit up a thrift shop for some curtains, possibly with beading and or, you know, details on them already I don't know you also mentioned like drafting your own half circle skirt pattern for the cape like were there any other specialized techniques that either of you used when creating this costume yeah I did so for the top for the yellow and for the motorcycle jacket first I researched everything that I need to do including Thai and Cambodian cultures and then I patterned I made my own patterns for both top for both the yellow top and for the jacket Usually I just make my own patterns for everything. I just gather the measurements I need and then figure out how certain things work. And then for the yellow top, I draped all the, all the pleats on it and figuring out where does the embroidery go and how to sand stitch certain endings so it looks more rugged. And I think sand stitching is work, works very well for a lot of things, especially for something from Kumanja where Raya is very, is very worn down world after Druun took over and just figuring out how to make it clean, but also not. My sewing experience is, of course, you know, starting in in the seamstress at the store with my mom and learning really traditional clothing sewing that blended a lot with cosplay sewing, which is a whole different ballgame right there. 
And my experience too, working in the theme park world, being around costumes for like characters that are designed for meet and greets every day. They, they got to be designed for, you know, it's a lot of separate pieces and it's designed for ease of taking on and putting on and taking off along with sneaky little snaps and buttons and things like that. And that applies a lot to cosplay costuming too. So I hid a lot of snaps in the collar of the cape for it to hold properly. There's also loops in the shoulder for the armpits so that your cape doesn't slide back. And then I also added horsehair into the collar of the cape to give it that really stiff look like in the film. And also all along the bottom hem of the cape, that's horsehair as well to give it that big superhero flowy shape and hold that like stiff shape at the bottom. And then I also taught myself to uh, embroider for the first time that was on the collar of that cape. That was all hand embroidery, the blue zigzag trim right there. May I just say, it's so beautiful. Pictures don't do it justice. The way Nam made it, it just flows so perfectly. I was playing around with it for quite a long time and admiring like every single bit <laughs> of it, how it just sits on the body. It's just, it's great. It's just, wow. I wish you guys could see it in person. I know that on Monica's Instagram, uh, she has like a video of her walking with the cape. So I wonder if, if uh, well, listeners should just go and check it out so they can see the swish and the flow of it. And I'll say that, you know, talking about Raya, I'm like, yeah, maybe I can make a Raya costume for Halloween this year. And then hearing about all the intricate details that went into your your make, I'm like, I I can't do that. (laughs) But maybe maybe I'll try. I don't know. Uh, So you'll you'll all find out in October. I probably probably won't. Well, I am here to help you if you need anything. I think you should do it. I'm going to take you up on that offer. So here's what I was thinking while you were talking about the cape is I was like, I bet I could buy a tree skirt as a starting point, (laughs) like a Christmas tree skirt. (laughs) Honestly, do it. It's the same level as a thrift store. (laughs) You all say that, but I actually did make a tree skirt this year the same way. (laughs) It's perfect. I think there's so many resources out there too. The way I learned cosplay sewing is a lot of online stuff. So, you know, making a circle skirt, there's literally, you just Google circle skirt calculator. There's a whole thing that you punch in your waist size, your uh, skirt length, all that stuff. And it'll, it'll give you the exact pattern and measurements that you need. Okay. All right. Maybe I'll do it. Maybe. (laughs) So I have one more question for both of you, but I'm going to combine them into into one question. So we'll start with Dewey. What was the most difficult thing about this particular cosplay for you? And then what was your favorite thing about the costume? I'm, I'm thinking maybe the cape, but you know, what, we'll uh, see what, <laughs> what your thoughts are. Well, I only made two things, but the yellow top was just difficult, mainly because I'm trying to convert the the cultural wear into what would function as a costume you know instead of making it wrap around the body how would i have it just go on her and attach it quickly that part was the hardest trying to figure out how does it function especially with the way disney redesigned it to be more conservative and my favorite bit of the costume as a whole is nam's cape it's just i i love capes I just, I love him. And the way he did it was just, 
was just freaking amazing. I love the embroidery work and the way it just sits on a human body was so perfect. I was playing around with it for quite a long time while Monica was getting ready. And it's just, it just swishes and I just love the texture work and the functions of it. I'm all about the functions and ergonomics and costumes. And the snaps are just perfectly placed where it doesn't bother anyone. And yeah, I, I love the cape. Just, I love capes and especially when they're functional, just, yeah, I want I it. Like Capes it. are powerful. And Nam, how about you? Making it more intricate, too, was a little difficult for me. I always try to find ways to add extra textures and patterns and things to these pieces that I make to make them feel a little more realistic, especially when adapting animated films. It can be a bit simple, blocky colors and stuff like that. So you want to make it visually more striking. So that's something I drew uh, inspiration from my Vietnamese Ao Yai background is adding appliques to the bottom of the cape on the back there. I don't think you can see them in the pictures, but I added this red, like swirly applique to the bottom of the cape and helped add it a little bit more depth to that. And also the main difficult part was the embroidery on the collar that really, I was making pretty quick progress with the cape and then the embroidery kind of stopped it dead in its tracks. And it took a good while and a whole lot of yarn, but it was a sharp learning curve and I had a good time though. (laughs) I do want to point out for our listeners who might be primarily garment sewists like me and Nicole, that uh, most of the techniques that we've talked about are like what we would call like couture level techniques. And, And I think that like gives it that rarefied air where home garment sewists don't really feel comfortable approaching it sometimes, but I love how you kind of just went for it. Like horsehair braid to hold it up and give it structure and hand embroidery and even like the engineering of the top and draping it and figuring out how to make the yellow top work. That is, those are some things that we just apply different words to, I think, depending on what kind of sewing you're doing. When Nam mentioned the whole, like, uh, we make patterns stuff, like, yeah, you're right, we do do that. Like, it's such a normal thing to us where, like, we don't even mention. <laughs> like, I don't even mention, oh, yeah, my, my, I made my own pattern. Because to me, that's such a normal yeah. thing until, like, Nam mentioned it, like, oh, yeah, you're right. I think for us, when we sew, like, garments, it's all based off of, like, patterns that we buy from other people. And so I think that's why we're like, oh, my God, you made your own pattern. <laughs> but diverging from sewing for like two seconds. Nam, you also made that wig and you, you were telling us about zooming in to the all black kind of screenshot where she had the hat on. Can you tell us a little bit more about how you actually did that? Like, give us a sneak peek into wig making life. Oh, wig making life is difficult, especially when you're running this business on just me. But I wouldn't have it any other way. But doing that, that hair, particularly for Raya, was definitely a feat. I guess I, I've developed enough skill now and experience to see a picture and, and see in reference, because obviously animated bodies are different from human real proportions. So seeing in regards to her body, you know, I can clock immediately, oh, that's a 20-inch wig right there. I need to trim it to 20 inches. I need layers in there for all that extra volume that she has. And then I know like what base I need to use because I need to use something lace front because it's got all this intricate braiding on the top there. So you can't use uh, a hard front wig, which is what in the industry is something that doesn't blend with the hairline. So the lace helps it make it more realistic, as you can see in the pictures with Monica there. 
And the rest, breaking it down with the braids, it was a lot of trial and error for sure. I'll never get things perfect on the first try. I will never claim that. But overall, it was a really fun experience and getting to do these braids were, were really, it's a, it's a really fun wig to do. And I'm so glad that I get orders for them a lot more recently too. So getting to do that as my nine to five is pretty awesome. Yeah, the wig is absolutely beautiful. And I think it really helps make the outfit for sure. And so that sounds really neat. And I'm glad that it's led to more commissions for wigs for your Evermore business. So thank you. do you both have any current projects you can tell us a little bit about? So Nam, maybe anything that you're working on right now that you can share? I got to be honest, I have nothing going on right now in terms of sewing, <laughs> but man, talking to you guys definitely makes me want to get back to it. I'm feeling very inspired right now. And that's fine if you don't got anything going on. We all need <laughs> breaks from sewing for sure. How about you, Dewey? Yeah, I have lots of sewing projects right now. I'm trying to, I have, like, I have the contract, I have to fulfill. So I'm like, I'm like, how do I, what do I want to make? I don't know if you can tell behind me. I'm working on Cruella from the new Cruella film. And she has 47 costumes in the movie. And I'm working on the Imperial gown, which is the military jacket with the red petal skirt. Oh, man. I can't wait to see that. And it's a lot of reinterpreting what was designed because I have to like think about, my, think about my budget, what skills I do have. I can't drape certain things or make certain things because I know the skirt on Cruella has like 5,000 plus petals, individually sewn petals. And I'm just like, I'm going to make it ruffles and make my own ruffles of 120 yards of organza so far. And yeah. Corella, I'm working on her, making her come true. Wow. 120 yards of organza. We're still counting. <laughs> <laughs> Man, I have like three yards of organza and I can't figure out how to do it. So you're way ahead of me. Um, I'm curious, do either of you have any additional advice for listeners who might be interested in getting into costuming or cosplay? If you want to get into sewing or just cosplay, I just say just do it and it's so weird to say that because everyone approaches costuming or just making cosplays differently but if you just want to do it like start from like buying a costume and then figuring out how it fits on you and then eventually it will just develop more um, not everyone wants to make costumes in, in any form so the best way to do it is just I would say buy a costume or buy something like an existing piece of clothing and just kind of manipulate it to make it fit you as a person and maybe your skills will grow. Like maybe that that desire to make things will be there. But if you want to cosplay, just do it. Just buy that piece and wear it. Commission a wig from Nam and, and wear it. You got to start with what you are passionate about and what you like. Realize that, you know, there's so many genres of costumes and films and things that you can do out there that not everything is going to be for you for sure. But it's, it's a great start um, jumping off point, buying things too. Um, something I like to tell people when they ask me for advice with sewing and, and cosplay is, you know, keep it simple. Like, don't make it harder for yourself. If you think, oh, like, I, I really want to like, I, why are you putting that restriction on yourself to have to fully make everything in a piece? If it's just easier to spend the five bucks and buy a belt and adjust it from there or buy a, a base piece, you know, 
it's all about how you look and how you feel in the costume. So I guess if you want to make it, go for it. But also you can keep things simple and really work with what you know and the skills that you have. And from there, there's just a vast ocean of resources for you online as well, free or paid, that you can watch on YouTube or take classes for and from some of the most like experienced cosplayers and costumers out there. And it's all there for you online. So I think you should use them to your advantage. And also just not worry so much about everything being perfect all the time because we had a great time with our Raya shooting and cos- costume and we all know that it wasn't entirely accurate <laughs> to the movie, but we had a great time and we got to represent. And I think that's what matters most. Especially I see that with a lot of like new cosplayers is people comparing themselves to an image of a professional cosplayer who's done that for 10 plus years or something. Because looking at just one image and comparing it to your costume, you're never going to see the amount of years of work and experience and trial and error that's gone into that one photo alone that's led up to that point. So use those skills, use those free courses and classes to your advantage. Learn to combine things too. Patterning, you know, you got to have the eye to, oh, you see a sleeve part that you like in this full dress pattern, but it doesn't work with that bodice. Learn to combine things together and use pieces of other things to make what you need. So trial and error. So go for it and expect trial and error in order to grow. I like it. We're so happy that you could join us today. Can you both remind our listeners where we can find you? So I'll start with Dewey. All right. So you can find me on Instagram at Cafe to Dewey. It is C-A-F-E-D-E-D-U-Y. I'm all over social media with the same handle, except my main platform is Instagram. On there, you can find pictures of my costuming work. Um, costume design and just me just raving about certain costume designs around for films and such and a little bit to my personal and then you can find me at my personal costume work and cosplay at nam mai on instagram n-a-m-m-a-i and then all of your princess hair needs you can head over to at evermore wigs on instagram Thank you, Nam and Dewey, for joining us on our podcast today and talking to us about Riot and the Last Dragon and costuming. It was so great to talk to you. We learned so much, and I hope our listeners did too. Thank you, listeners, for joining us on this week's episode of the Asian Sewist Collective Podcast. Next week, we will be wrapping up season one with a discussion on size inclusivity. If you like our show, you can support us by following us on Instagram at Asian Sewist Collective. That's one word. Asian Sewist Collective. You can also spread the word and tell your friends. We would love it if you could rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Pocket Casts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. All of the links and resources mentioned in today's episode will be in the show notes on our website. That's AsianSewistCollective.com. And we'd love to hear from you. Email us with your questions, comments, or even voice messages if you want to be featured on a future episode at AsianSewistCollective at gmail.com. This episode was brought to you by your co-hosts, Ada Chen and Nicole Angeline. This episode was researched by Eileen Leung and Esther Lee. 
produced by Shailen Joy and edited by Leslie Reem Hunt and Henry Wong. Thank you so much to the other members of our collective who made this week's episode a reality. This is the Asian Sewist Collective Podcast, and we'll see you next week.